0: The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Christmas 2019 is in the books, last Christmas of the decade. I hope that you had a Merry Christmas. It was an especially good Christmas for me because it was my first Christmas being married. Come on, you can get excited. I got excited about that. I got to tell you, one of the most uh, interesting surprises for me about being married uh, at Christmas is that you really have to bring your A game when it comes to hiding your presents. No longer can it just be whimsical. Now, you've got to have a strategy, a game plan in order to pull off that surprise. And we had a great Christmas. I trust that you did as well. But now we are on the other side of Christmas. All the presents are opened. Your fridge is full of leftovers. Your house that was once clean, then destroyed, is now put back together. And your kids, your kids have already forgotten the gifts that you bought them and they're already telling you what they want next. Can you relate? If you're at our Lyersburg campus, online, classic, at Chambersburg, here at Wilson, can you relate? It's like Christmas was here, but now everything is back to normal. The, the only things that have changed is you've added 10 pounds to your weight and your wallet is a whole lot lighter. But other than that, it's, it's back to normal. And it, it causes us to ask this question, what difference did Christmas really make in our lives? Whether you believe or not, believing at Christmas time, believing in Jesus, what difference does it make if everything returns back to normal? You know, we had this great time with family and friends. We have feasts, we have festivities, we have fun gifts. And it's almost like they're just there for a distraction, just for a fleeting moment. And then after that wonder and magic and thrill of Christmas, we're back to normality once again. The same things we were facing before are now in our face again. Those same things, the difficulties, the deadlines, the due dates, the bills that have to be paid, they're right back again. The struggles that you have at the workplace, at home, the, just all these things, the pressures are life, they surround us back again. And not even pressures that are personal to us, things happening in our world, with politics, with the economy, with climate change, with threats and wars and rumors of worms. All these things happen and come back to us again, and it causes us to question, what, what really did Christmas do? What difference does it make? And we're left facing these things, but what are we really facing? What are you facing? What, what am I facing? we're facing troubles. We're facing troubles again. We're facing troubles that plague our thinking, our emotions, our relationships, our finances. Like I said, at home, at the workplace, at school, whatever it might be, all these things come back and they circle us once again. It's the same things that were there before, now reappearing after the holidays, and we know there's even more to come. And you're saying, wow, Justin, you are just one giant Scrooge. Whatever little bit of Christmas spirit I have left, you just got rid of it. And unfortunately, that, I don't mean to be uh, that kind of bearer of bad news, but if you're realistic and honest with yourself, you might have already experienced this. Back to normality, back to these troubles that seem to surround us. You know, what's interesting is, is that in our life today, facing troubles is nothing new. This has been happening to humans for years upon years, and we even see this 2,000 years ago in Bible times with Jesus. And I want to take you back to an account in the book of John where we see this actually played out with Jesus and his closest followers called So let me set the stage a little bit. We're looking at the Gospel of John. John is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. And he records in his account how the very last time that Jesus gathers together with his friends and followers is over a meal. And while they're sharing this meal together, Jesus tells three important things that are about to happen. He first says that a friend is going to betray him. He also says that Peter, one of his close friends, is going to deny him multiple times. And then he says, like he has said before, that he is going to die. But his disciples, realizing that this hour is drawing near, they feel this. They sense the trouble. And as Jesus looks at his friends, he can see it on their face. He can see the trouble on their face. Maybe you've seen this on someone else's face before. When they've received discouraging news, maybe that diagnosis or realizing that they've lost their job or whatever it might be. You've seen this on people's faces before and maybe you've even seen it on your own face at one point in your life in the mirror with the troubles that you face. Now, when Jesus sees the trouble in their hearts, it troubles him, so he addresses it. And this is what he says in John chapter 14, verse 1, seeing the trouble that they're going through of the words he shared. He says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I see that you're troubled, but you don't have to be. Believe in God, you can believe also in me. It's interesting that the word choice here for believe really has the idea of trust with it. But trust in a very unique way, a lot of times we say we put our trust in something. The idea of this is like trust is tangible, like it's an object that you have in your hands. And what Jesus is saying is, take that trust and put it into someone. Put it into me. Put it into God. What he's really saying is, I know you don't understand what's about to take place. Jesus knows what's coming. It's dark. It's demonic. It's it's horrible. It's evil. But Jesus also knows that regardless whether they understand it or not, that God's hand is in the midst of it, that he is working in and through this situation. So what he's saying to them is, even though you can't understand, even though you can't see, trust me. Trust God. The same is true in our lives. We face a variety of troubles, situations, circumstances, overwhelming things that we don't know how to address. And God says, I'm still working in the background. You can trust me. You see, what Jesus was doing in this passage was he was getting them to change their perspective. It's a perspective shift. He was getting them off of what was going on in front of them and onto something else. But why would they be able to be calm in a situation like this with trouble? This is what he does. In John chapter 4, 14 verse 2, he says this. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a, prepare a place for you? He's talking about his father's house, literally heaven. He's getting their eyes off of the troubles in front of them and he's getting them towards heaven on the horizon. It's interesting here, his father's house being heaven, it says that there are many rooms. Um, Sometimes growing up we hear that these rooms are mansions or this luxury vacation home waiting for you. That's not the idea that Jesus is trying to convey here. What he's trying to convey is for those that believe in him, he is preparing a place just for them, For all that would believe. He's trying to get the disciples, again, to shift their perspective off of the present to what will come to pass in the future. And that same truth is the same truth for us today that we can take away. And it's simply this, is that our troubles fade when we see beyond today. Our troubles fade when we see beyond today. You see, God and Jesus did not want us trapped in the things that we are currently facing. He knew, he knew that the cure for a troubled heart is the hope of heaven. That's why he gets this perspective change to his disciples to see beyond what they're presently going through, for us to see beyond what we are presently going through. But you might say, you don't understand. You don't understand the specific troubles that are surrounding me. They are great. They are overwhelming. I don't know what to do about them. You know what? I don't know what those troubles are, but God does. And God is at work through them. But the core thing that is causing all these troubles to happen is a terrible problem in, in the root of our lives, something that we call sin. Sin is simply anything we think, say, or do that does not please God. And we all have a natural desire, a natural tendency to do sin, to do things our own way. The trouble is when we do things our own way, it puts us against heaven. It puts us against God. In fact, it turns us towards an eternal destruction full of damn nation in a place called hell yes there is a real heaven and there is a real hell and because of our sin we are eternally separated from god you might say well if god loves us so much then why can't we just be in heaven with him heaven is a place of perfection it's a place of paradise where god is holy and he reigns there because it is holy and perfect our imperfection cannot be allowed in heaven God also says that there is a severe punishment for the sin that we do, and that is death, eternal death. And that is why we ultimately have a default destination of going to hell. But God loved us so very, very much that He didn't want us to stay on that default destination. He wanted to get involved. He loved us so very, very much that He provided the solution through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to earth we just celebrated at Christmas, was born of Mary and grew up, but what was interesting is as he grew up, he did something that no one else has ever done. He lived perfectly. Now this is important because later on, as Jesus got older, he was about to take the punishment for your sin and my sin on himself by dying in our place. The only reason that Jesus could die in our place was because he was perfect. You see, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, without death, there cannot be forgiveness of sins. And Jesus loved you so very, very much that he was willing to take that on himself. All the sin, all the evil, the things that you do and push your own way, the selfish desires and tendencies that we all have, Jesus Christ took on himself by paying the price with his death. Now, that would be a sad story if it ended there, but we know that was not the end of the story. The Bible tells us that three days later, Jesus Christ resurrected. He came back to life. He had victory over sin, over death, and over the grave. And because of that, it allows us not to be trapped in sin anymore. It allows us not to be trapped in our troubles because when we believe on Jesus by faith, As our Lord and Savior, and as for forgiveness, our sin debt is paid. We receive the forgiveness of God into our lives, so we are no longer bound for hell. Instead, our eternal destination becomes heaven." And when we get that perspective shift happening in our lives, just like the disciples, it allows us to see our troubles differently. Now, Jesus is the only way that we can get to heaven. A lot of people will say otherwise, but he truly is the only way. He reinforces this to his disciples just a few verses later in John chapter 14, verse six. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. The early church wanted to remember this because in the midst of lots of people saying different things about what they should believe, they wanted to capture the essence of what it means to be a Jesus follower. So they came up with something they called the Apostles' Creed. We've had the opportunity to look at this the last several weeks through our belief series, and that Apostles' Creed actually also talks about this same thing that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that we can have our sins forgiven. It says, I believe on the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of god the father almighty i believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting amen you see the truth of the matter is is that we all have an eternity ahead of us we all have an eternity that we are going to be living beyond our physical lives either in heaven or in hell the trouble is in today's society a lot of people think that they are on their way to heaven Several years ago, the Los Angeles Times did an interesting study where they surveyed many people about their belief of where their their eternal destination was going to be, whether it was going to be in hell or in heaven. The results, the ratios they found were astonishing. What they found was that for every one individual that legitimately believed that they were on their way to hell, there were 120 that believed they were definitely going to heaven. 120. It's like 99% of people said, I believe I am good enough to go to heaven. They believed in a variety of things, but Jesus is the only way that we can go to heaven. He is the only way, and we have to believe it. Not just believe in the person of Jesus, not just believe what he did actually happen, but believe it in our lives and count that for our eternity. Let me illustrate to you this way. I have in my wallet here a Sam's Club card. Now, to our online campus, you will notice that I have blocked out the numbers because I really don't want my identity stolen in 2020. But today, I have with me here this Sam's Club card, and I'm telling you it's a Sam's Club card. You can look at it. You can kind of see it's a Sam's Club card. And what does the Sam's Club card do? It gets you access into Sam's Club so that you can go in and enjoy all those wonderful discounts. You can stock your pantry full of all that sugary goodness, and you can enjoy life better. However, if you don't have this Sam's Club card, it doesn't necessarily work. I can hold this card up to you today and I can say, it's a Sam's Club card. And you can believe it. You can believe that there was a cost that was paid for this card to work. But if you just believe it and don't have this card in your possession, it's not gonna work for you. It might look like it. You might show up at Sam's Club. You can grab the cart. You can fill it all full of things. And you can even show up to the register and you can say that I believe there's a card that actually works, that has been paid for, that will allow me to be here. But if you don't have it, It's not going to work out. You're not going to be able to do that. However, the whole situation changes if I were to give you this card, if you were able to receive it. Because then you would say, I don't just believe the card exists, I believe that the card is going to work for me myself. I am counting on it so that when I get to the register, they're actually gonna let me take home all this wonderful discounted goodness. That's the difference in our belief. We can't just believe that Jesus Christ existed. We can't just believe that he died and came back to life. We can't even just believe that by doing that, it provides forgiveness of sins. We have to accept it for ourselves. It's very critical and important that we understand this because your eternal destiny depends on it. We have to believe in Jesus Christ personally. Now, all this good news is great and wonderful, but how does this actually help us with the troubles that we face in life? Simply put I think we can summarize in this. Our troubles fade when we see Jesus's final victory. Our troubles fade when we see Jesus's final victory. You see, when Jesus Christ died and came back to life, and when we believe on him by faith, the Bible tells us that we are no longer alone, that his spirit comes and lives within our spirit. The champion, the victor, comes and lives with us inside of us that means that we are no longer alone that means that the troubles you face are only temporary and that god is going to be with you every step of the way and notice we said that our troubles fade not that they fade away they just fade it's that perspective shift that's happening in our lives where we see beyond today we see beyond the troubles and realize that god is with us every step of the way that we are no longer alone This means, ultimately, that we are on the winning side. That no matter what you face, because of what Jesus Christ did by your faith in him, you are on the winning side. He's going to get you through everything. It's only temporary, considering what is on the horizon, that heaven is waiting there. So what does this mean for us? It means that we can calm down. It means that the troubles in front of us, although they might seem great, they're not huge compared to our God. But see, in our lives, a lot of times, we want to still get involved with them. We feel like it's up to us, and we get this perspective shift wrong. So how can we actually remain calm in the midst of those troubles surrounding us? Well, Jesus goes on and says this in John chapter 14, verse 3. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Jesus here is telling two very important promises to his disciples. The first is this, that he is going to prepare a place for them in heaven. Now again, Jesus is not in the construction business. This is not your vacation home that he is building the mansion. It's not that. He's preparing a space, a place, for all those who would believe in him. That's the first promise is he's making preparations. The second promise is that he is going to return. That what we are experiencing right now is only temporary. Jesus is going to come back and receive the people that believe in him to himself so they can go and live with him forever and ever in heaven. That means that we can calm down. That means that we can walk under the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit, the comfort that lives inside of us, knowing that we are not alone, that Jesus is in control, and he will lead us and guide us through whatever we face in front of us. In short, we need to live with a different perspective, just like what Jesus was trying to convey to to his disciples. We need to have that perspective shift. So for us today, simply put, we need to see heaven prepared for you. See heaven prepared for you. It needs to have that perspective shift happen in your lives. But to see heaven prepared for you, that depends greatly on what you believe about heaven. If I may, I would like to read you a couple of Things that the Bible tells us about heaven. And if we were to look at all the scripture and all the verses, it would take a lot of time. In fact, I wanna give you some homework. In your notes today, if you can write down this, Revelation 21 and the beginning of chapter 22, check that out in your free time. You'll get an excellent description of what heaven looks like. But as a brief recap, let me tell you these couple things. We believe heaven is a real place where God and Jesus are. We believe it is accessible only to those who believe in Jesus Christ by faith. It is full of God's glory. The Bible tells us that God's glory actually lights up the place. It is a place full of rewards that we have earned here on earth. It's paradise where we get to live a personal personal relationship with God. It's protected from evil, from sin, from abuse, from rejection, from darkness, and from night. It is immeasurably and indescribably beautiful. It is ultimate perfection and peace. There are no tears, no pain, no sickness, no death, no hunger, no thirst. It is an incredible place of paradise that Jesus is preparing for you. The most important thing on that list, it's the place that where Jesus and God are. That means that when we see heaven prepared for us, we're not just seeing heaven as a place, we're seeing Jesus there waiting for us. So if we have such a glorious thing awaiting for us, the question then becomes, is it worthwhile to live our lives differently? considering that the eternal reward of heaven is waiting is it worth us to live a life sacrificially obediently in devotion and service to God and I believe the answer is yes it absolutely is considering what is waiting for us so why don't we do that why don't we live in such a way seeing heaven on the horizon simply put this is the problem We have a perspective problem, just like the disciples had. We are not seeing clearly because we get so caught up with what is facing us and what is in front of us. I think a unique way that I can explain this to you is by taking you inside an airplane. So I'm going to take you inside a cockpit today. This is actually an airplane I used to fly several years ago. I love aviation, I love flying, and uh, it's such an incredible experience. You can see this is actually the vantage point that you would have sitting in the captain's seat as the pilot in command. And you can see there's a lot of things going on down here in the panel. And if you kind of look, this is your perspective. The panel is almost up in your face. It's much higher than what you would see inside your vehicle and it's filled with dials and gauges and readouts and all these things. You're always seeing a piece of it here, but if you saw the whole picture, it's over 30 gauges, not to mention lots of buttons and switches. There's a lot going on. What's interesting is is that when a new pilot begins to learn how to fly, this becomes overwhelming. There is so much going on here, so much, in fact, that they forget to look outside. They're so concerned about, okay, I need to fly this way, this is telling me this, I have to do that and they forget about the outside perspective. A good flight instructor will recognize this early on and will work with the student to get them to have a proper balance, where they focus on the outside of the horizon, but not negate what's going on on the inside. You see, that balance, that perspective is really important because if a pilot focuses just on this, particularly in the beginning, it becomes disorienting. They won't see things happening outside the airplane like other aircraft flying close to them. And also, it just isn't enjoyable. You fly the whole flight completely stressed out. And so the instructor will tell them the importance of balance, looking outside the aircraft and inside the aircraft. So balance is important. For all you Star Wars fans, balance. It's important. And this is the same thing in our lives today, though, is that I believe that there is discipline in the destination. We just can't get lost in the details that we miss our devotion to God. And that is the perspective shift that we must have in our lives is continually looking at the horizon, seeing heaven prepared for us, not getting lost in this. Yes, the troubles we face are important, and God promises that he will be with us and work through those things together with us. But we cannot lose sight that heaven is on the horizon, that Jesus has prepared it for us, that what we face right now is temporary. That is eternal. And it causes us to live a life that is different. So what does that look like? What does a life, what does living a life look differently if we have that perspective the right way? Well, first of all, it means that we start wanting to live for God more. It means that we become instantly available. And we say, God, I want to serve you in any way I can. I want to use the skills, gifts, and talents that you provide me with in a way that will point other people back to Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we become faithful. We say, God, I want to serve you faithfully. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to stay the course and serve you with everything that I've got. Not only that, but we also become teachable All of a sudden we realize we wanna spend more time getting to know God. We spend more time in his word, reading the the words from the Bible and allowing God to teach us through them. We spend more time in prayer. We spend more time going to a life group, and I wanna challenge you and encourage you, if you are not yet plugged into a life group, shameless plug, get plugged into a life group. Coming up at the beginning of 2020, we're gonna have life group launch, and I wanna challenge you, get plugged in. It's not just a great place of encouragement, it's a place where you can grow with other people in their faith, as you grow closer to God. Not only do we become teachable, we also become enthusiastic because we realize that it's not about us anymore. It's about eternity and we can get behind that. We can get excited for what God wants to do. Not only that, but we also become responsive. When God calls us and tells us to do something, we obey. We say we're gonna fall after you because we know that what you have in store is greater than what we can come up with ourselves. But the beauty of all this is as we live a life where we see heaven prepared for us, we have our focus fixated on eternity, we have to also remember that it's not just for us. It's for everyone else. We cannot be content with who we are, with gathered with this amount, we want to reach out and tell other people that their eternal destination can be heaven, that they can have their sins forgiven. This is outlined in the book of 2 Peter, where it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All should reach repentance. It is God's desire that every single person accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and not have an eternity in suffering in hell, but rather in paradise in heaven. For you and I, what that means is we need to see heaven prepared for others. We need to see heaven prepared for others. That means that no longer we are thinking about the things for ourselves. We are actively looking at the situations, the circles, the people that surround us, and we say, what are the ways that I can point people back to Jesus Christ? This is the sobering thought. That the only heaven that some people may ever see is the habits in your life. We need to live our life in a way that shows that there is life change that has happened within us and that life change is available for others as well. So let me challenge you and ask you this, are you doing that? Are you taking opportunity to tell other people about Jesus Christ because their eternity depends on it. It might depend on your words alone. They might not hear it from any other person. Are you intentionally seeking out friendships with people that don't know Jesus so that you have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus, to tell them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we being very intentional with this because we realize that heaven is not just for us, it's for others as well? We need to have this perspective correct in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. And maybe today that's where you're at. Maybe today you're realizing that your perspective maybe has gotten a little bit askew. Maybe it's been the troubles that's facing you in front of your life, and you as a Jesus follower know that your focus shouldn't be here. It should be fixated on Jesus. It should be focused on heaven. Maybe today, what you need to do is get that focus readjusted and realigned back to the things of God, back to the things of heaven. That might be simply just having some time alone with God and saying, God, no matter what comes, no matter what I'm facing, I am going to trust in you. I am going to put in my trust with you. I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to believe that your hand is working in the background, and I'm going to trust you through all of it. Help me have that perspective shift, that change where I see heaven prepared for me, and I see heaven prepared for others. For others of us today, maybe you're sitting here realizing that you have never truly believed. Maybe you've realized that I have understood the person of Jesus Christ. I might even believe what they say is true about him, but I've never made that decision in my life where I've accepted his forgiveness for me. Can I challenge you? Would you make that decision today? And you don't need anything fancy, you don't need a fancy moment. you can even do that while I'm speaking to you right now. Online as well, you can simply say yes to Jesus, I believe in you by faith that what you did in your life and in your death and coming back to life is enough. I am counting my eternity on your sacrifice. And you can make that decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. And I would urge you and challenge you to do that. But the fact of the matter is, is that as we progress through life, we constantly are struggling with this perspective shift. We're constantly getting sidetracked. We constantly get focused on other things, sometimes troubles, sometimes even good things. And we need to keep the perspective the right way, where we see Jesus Christ, where we see heaven. Do you know that Jesus set up a very unique way that we could do that and we could remember and get that perspective right in our mind consistently? He actually did it with his disciples. So in the beginning, I told you he gathered his disciples his followers together for that final meal before he would be arrested and he told them that terrible news But he also told them something really interesting. He, he took bread and he took a cup from the table And he used to symbolize what was about to happen in his life. Now we call this communion This is how we remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. And today I want to actually show you in the scripture what God actually said about this. In 1 Corinthians, outlined by Paul, it says, Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and, or drinks the cup of the, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now here's what we believe. We believe that this is an incredible opportunity to get our focus back on Jesus Christ. We remember through these symbols, through the blood that's represented by the cup, And through the body represented by the bread, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did for everyone, they did for you and I. This is the greatest way that we can remember the sacrifice and get our hearts realigned with God. Now here at Lifehouse, we believe that you don't have to be a member of Lifehouse Church to participate in communion. What we do ask though is that you are a member of the church, meaning at some point in your life, even today, you've said yes to Jesus. You believed on him by faith. So right now, I'm going to ask at all of our campuses for our hospitality teams to come forward. Right now, they're going to go ahead and pass out to you the elements of communion. You'll get a cup, and in the lid, you'll find a wafer of bread. I want you to hang on to that for just a moment. and a little bit, we'll take that together. But it's interesting here that we are given some very important instructions of how we are to celebrate communion together. We see this outlined further on in 1 Corinthians where it says this, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. It's interesting to us today to realize that this is somber and this is sober. We have to be careful how we approach this. The Bible tells us that we need to examine our hearts, that there's any sin, any evil, anything that's separating us from God today, that we need to get that corrected before we take communion together. If we don't, the Bible says there are severe consequences. And so we don't want that to happen today. We want to approach God with clean hands and a pure heart. So we're going to provide an opportunity for you to do that right now. In a few moments, the band will begin to play, they'll begin to sing, and I want to just encourage you to stay seated. You don't necessarily need to sing with them. I'd rather you have a conversation with God. I'd rather you have Him just look inside of you and you look with Him and say, is there anything in my life that's separating me from God? What do I need to confess before God today? What do I need to ask for forgiveness? How can I realign my heart back to His? So we're going to take this time to reflect and then later on in the song, our campus pastor will come up. We'll take communion together, but take this time to reflect, to confess and to realize once again, Jesus Christ, our living hope. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.